3CR Community Radio, 855am. Asia-Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia-Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. On Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Link. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday, the 20th of February. You're on Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna and I'm taking you through to 9.30 this morning. Yes, you will have noticed that Comrade Pierre isn't here this morning. Uh, He is off, (coughs) excuse me. Finally enjoying his uh, his uh, weekend away, which was brutally interrupted by a snap five-day lockdown. So enjoy your time off, Pierre, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. But of course, coming up on today's program... In the second half of the show, I speak with Shivani Kool, who is from an organisation called Bigul Mastur Dasta in India. And we finally have an opportunity to uh, talk about and analyse the massive farmers' strike in India and try and understand it from um, a working class perspective and to see and try to understand what demands, if any, are there for um, the workers and the peasantry of India. So that is in the second part of the show. Of course, this is Asia Pacific Currents, which is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. And if you want to stay in touch with us, find us on Facebook and social media. Just uh, do a search for AAWL. But we are on, you can go to our website, which is aawl.org.au. And you can also email us directly, which is aawl at aawl.org.au. That's how you get in touch with us. We're going to shoot straight into news from around the region. Shoot was probably the wrong word to use because we're going to start by looking at the ongoing protests in Myanmar against the military coup. The situation in Myanmar remains tense two weeks after the military coup that overthrew the elected NLD government. Daily protests and mass demonstrations are continuing to be common occurrences with many workers taking action at their workplaces. In response, the military has arrested scores more activists, has introduced a raft of new heavy penalties for any anti-coup action statements, while it has now put tanks and military roadblocks in the major cities of Myanmar. While the military retains its overwhelming military and repressive superiority, politically it's facing increasingly uncertain times with opposition to its coup becoming more organised. And in India, thousands of garment workers have finally won reinstatement. Last year, we brought you news of the plight of over 1,200 garment workers who had been dismissed by the company using the COVID-19 lockdown as an excuse. The management of the factory, the Euro Clothing Company 2, owned by Gokoldas Exports, based in Karnataka State in central India, had initiated this action as a union-busting move, as at this factory, around 75% of the workers were unionised. The company also tried to intimidate the workers, but these stood firm and initiated a round-the-clock sit-in outside the factory. 
The workers not only won all the pay that was due to them, but their actions generated an international solidarity campaign. On the 1st of February, the company offered new jobs to all the workers that had been fired, as well as recognising their union, the Garment and Textile Workers Union, as a legitimate bargaining agent. And in Iran, auto workers take industrial action. The wave of protests in Iran against the worsening economic and social conditions are showing no signs of abating. This week, thousands of workers at the Iran Kodro Company auto factory in Tabriz took wildcat strike action in protest at the non-payment of wages. The non-payment of wages has been an ongoing issue at this factory, with some workers still working after reaching retirement age due to the company's failure to pay wages and workers' contributions to Social Security. In another dispute, reports continue to come in that workers in the South Pars oil and gas fields are continuing to take a range of industrial action over workplace conditions and security of employment. Of course, gas and oil are, um, in terms of industry, is very, very strategic. So we'll see uh, what uh, transpires in that particular dispute. Uh, and back in India, since early August of last year, the mass protest by farmers in India against proposed legislation, well now um, legislation that has gone through, uh, in this legislation cuts subsidies and uh, opens up the sector to agribusiness. So these farmers have resisted all attempts by the government to co-opt it or repress it. While for many months it was centred around the capital New Delhi, protests have spread nationwide, becoming a huge political challenge to the government of President Modi. As a response, the government has stepped up pressure on supporters of this struggle as well as targeting journalists. This week, a 22-year-old climate activist, Disha Ravi, was arrested and accused of being a key conspirator in the formulation and dissemination of a protest toolkit. This arrest has generated both widespread protests but also fear as the arrest of someone for just sharing an already public document shows a level of repression that the government is willing to enforce. And as I said at the start of the show, uh, in the second part of today's show, we're going to learn a bit more about that um, farmer's protest in a way to understand it and it, and not necessarily not support it, but I think um, understanding the class forces is is important. And in Bahrain this week on the 14th of February, a few small protests marked the 10th anniversary of the popular uprising against the hated and repressive Khalifa monarchy. In 2011, after seeing the dictators in Tunisia and Egypt being dismissed or falling following mass protests, workers at other marginalised and other marginalised groups took to the streets during the month of February. By the 23rd of February, crowds occupying the Central Pearl Roundabout had grown to around 100,000 strong, representing a sixth of the total population of Bahrain. The Khalifa monarchy had no response to such popular protests and in mid-March, a large contingent of Saudi and Emirati armed forces were invited in to crush the protests. The result is now a police state with thousands of people in jail, torture, endemic, countless others in exile around the world, opposition political parties banned and a media landscape that is totally controlled by the Bahraini government. And in Thailand, the anti-government protests have restarted 
Uh, catalyzed by the arrest of uh, re-arrest of Somyot Puksakasemsuk. After a few months of pause during COVID-19 infections and restrictions, this week the anti-government movement staged its first major protest of this year. On February 13, thousands of demonstrators gathered at the Democracy Monument in Bangkok, with many scaling it and draping in red cloth, signifying the blood of fighters for democracy. Their main demand was for the repeal of the hated Les Majesty law and the release and dropping of charges against activists who have been targeted by authorities over the last year. A number of protesters were injured by police during the night and a number were detained, though it's unclear whether they'll be charged. Protest organisers said that more rallies will now be organised against the monarchy and the military-led government. And of course, these comrades desperately need solidarity and support. And AAWL is a part of organising some of that. So stay tuned to what's coming. Well, that does bring us to the end of news from around the region. I'm going to go to some community announcements and then our feature interview for the morning. Algorithms have become these gatekeepers to opportunity. They're already deciding who gets hired, who gets health care, how long a prison sentence someone serves. And what I didn't realize is that a lot of these algorithms haven't been vetted for accuracy. We don't even know how accurate they are. They often run on what's popular, and we all know what's popular isn't always good. And they haven't been vetted for racial bias and for gender bias. I had no idea the scope of invasive surveillance, the the preciseness to which they can predict our behavior, and how vulnerable all of us can be to sort of predatory practices because of these algorithms. And so we need some protections in place as citizens. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. It is is 11 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. Uh, earlier in the week, I interviewed Shivani Kul from Bigul Mastur Dasta about the farmers' strike in India and how to understand it from a class perspective. Shivani starts this interview by introducing herself. Hi, uh, I'm Shivani. I'm from India. I'm a political activist with Bigul Mazdoor Dasta, and I'm also a trade union activist uh, working uh, in different unions in India. The Modi government, uh, which we we do understand as fascistic in his BJP government, um, has embarked on a a major agri-reform program, and this has sparked massive protests among small and marginal farmers. Just to begin with, can you talk about and explain what this agri-reform agenda is about and who it favours? Okay, so uh, the Modi government uh, last year in 2020 uh, through ordinances, not through the you know regular debate and discussion in parliament, it brought in three uh, major laws pertaining to uh, trade in agricultural sector. Uh, the first two laws are primarily linked to the uh, agricultural sector and the trade of farm produce but the third 
law is a slightly different one but we'll come to that also but uh, so in in june last year modi government uh, brought into these three laws and then after that there were protests uh, majorly in punjab and then uh, in couple of other states in india so what uh, do these farm law farm laws do so first of all it actually clears the path for liberalization in the sector of purchase and trade of farm produce so for example uh, the first ordinance farm produce trade and commerce promotion and facilitation ordinance which has now been made into a law uh, it uh, actually in a way does away with the uh, government markets which are called apmc mandis mandis is is, is a, a term for markets in in india so it it in a way does away with these apmc mandis which are government controlled and it actually loosens the control uh, and regulation on the uh, prices of farm produce so right now in india uh, on like 23 crops the government gives a minimum support price msp i'll come to uh, this later but uh, with with the introduction of uh, particularly the first law uh, msp uh, won't be uh, available uh, in in a in a in the course of time and also uh, uh, the apmc mandi system will be dismantled in the course of time uh, the second law uh, uh, which the uh, government has introduced is pertaining to the contract farming it's called uh, farmers agreement on price assurance and farm services ordinance which again has been uh, transformed into a law and it allows farmers uh, to enter into direct contracts with any company sponsor middlemen for production of any produce so uh, uh, right now there are these licensed commission agents which work in these apmc mandis but with the introduction of the second law uh, the farmers do not need to go through these middlemen they can directly enter into any contract with the with private players so uh, this is the second act which actually introduces contract farming the third act is the essential commodities act uh, which actually uh, removes all sorts of cap and limits on the stocking of essential commodities so it's not particularly a farm act it actually impacts all uh, the working masses all the you know a uh, mass of poor be it uh, rural poor urban poor it affects everybody because if you if you uh, remove this cap over stocking of essential commodities then you, uh, traders and uh, you know farmers themselves the big farmers they end up stocking up uh, large quantities of uh, essential commodities and then they can create uh, in due course of time artificial scarcity also which can uh, definitely uh, lead to a price uh, hike so uh, the third law in itself is not particularly related to the uh, farm sector it affects everybody but the first two laws uh, uh, which actually clears the way for liberalization of uh, agrarian sector 
these are actually uh, the ones that are affecting the farming community so in that sense uh, it's it's a long uh, dreamt project of uh, indian bourgeoisie to uh, you know spearhead the uh, capitalist development in agriculture also which has been there all along but yes with the uh, coming of corporates into this sector uh, the private capital will be injected in to uh, into the farm sector in a big way and uh, it will have lots of repercussions to which we will come later but in a nutshell these were the three laws that were introduced and after these laws were introduced without any discussion uh, there was the uh, sporadic protests in uh, majorly in punjab and then there were protests in haryana but uh, Uh, i think uh, on 26 november if i uh, uh, correctly re recollect uh, the farmers from punjab and haryana they uh, came to the delhi uh, borders and since then uh, there has been a blockade so uh, they are sitting in at the borders of delhi and uh, modi government has been into talks with them but uh, the talks have not uh, yielded any results so far so in a nutshell uh, uh, to uh, to uh, to say what these laws are about they are actually about liberalizing the farm sector so to uh, it it is obvious then the removal of the MSP the what you said is the minimum support price system which was the the uh, costing system that was in place uh, prior to these laws coming um through the removal of the the market mundi system so that being dismantled then the contract farming the introduction of liberalization it would make sense that farmers small farmers would be opposed to this obviously big farmers would be very um in favor of it and i think this is the dispute that is emerging in india at the moment can you talk us through who these farmers are can you give us a sense of their economic position the size of their land holdings um in comparison to the big agri business that they are competing against in this reform project so uh, uh jisel i want to make uh, one point clear because whenever we say farmers it's as if you know uh, farmers are a class undifferentiated community it's not like that even uh, farmers are divided into uh, classes so there are big farmers there are rich peasantry there are kulaks there are capitalist farmers and capitalist landlords in india because as far as you know the organization i uh, come from we believe that india is a capitalist country not totally akin to the western capitalist societies that uh, we have but india has got its own sort of capitalist development post 1947 when uh, we got independent so uh, after that india has followed a specific kind of capitalist developmental path so uh, when we say farmers it it seems like that you know each of these segments of farmers have got 
uh, alike interests or their interests are common, which is not true. And the kind of coverage that the media, and I'm not saying the lapdog media, which, which actually uh, is a uh, organ of the Modi government, but even the alternative media, uh, which actually showcases most of the protests that uh, goes around in India. Even that media is projecting these protests as a monolithic protest, which is which is not so. So uh, when we say farmers, what uh, section are we talking about? Because uh, in India, uh, we've got poor and marginal peasantry, we've got lower middle peasantry, we've got middle peasantry, and we've got rich peasantry, the uh, big Pulak farmer lobby. So, for example, the National Sample Survey Report of 2013, it says that one third of the total farmers in India own less than 0.4 hectares of land. And uh, only one sixth part of their income, that is only 16% of their income comes from farming. Rest of it comes from wage labor. The other one third of the total farmers has land holdings between 0.4 to 1 hectare. So farming constitutes 40% of their total income. Rest of the 60% comes from wage labor. So if we take into account these two sections together, they compose more than 70% of the farming population. Now for this segment of uh, uh, rural India, MSP actually hurts them. How does it hurt them? Because these uh, sections of peasantry, they are principal buyers of farm produce. They are not principal sellers. They are not left with that much of marketable surplus to sell in the market. So they are actually principal consumers. They buy uh, food grains. Uh, so they are net buyers of food grain, not net sellers of food grain. So let's return then to the MSP because this is, it sounds like you both disagree with the tranche of three agri uh, reform laws. You disagree with those laws, but you also disagree with the demand to retain the MSP. So the the farmers that are protesting are obviously responding materially or, or responding from their material concerns. And so they're saying, let's keep the MSP. So it almost sounds like a failure of political leadership to redirect those demands. Firstly, what demand would you have in relation to um, uh, uh, the agricultural sector reform. Okay, uh, Giselle, I want to just clarify one point that the first two laws are basically uh, reflecting the contradiction between industrial bourgeoisie and the agrarian bourgeoisie. And the working class is not obliged to take the stance of any one of these. So uh, the third law, the essential, com- the uh, reform being done into the Essential Commodities Act, that is the only law which actually impacts the working class and the mass of working people in India. And uh, the working class should oppose that law independently, through its independent political position without tail-ending the, either the you know, rural bourgeois uh, segment or you know, uh, cheerleading the 
industrial bourgeoisie. It's the same contradiction that one witnessed in 19th century England when corn laws were introduced in England. And Marx had uh, very succinctly pointed out that how those, these, those corn laws introduced at that time were actually a contradiction between the uh, rural bourgeoisie of England and the industrial bourgeoisie of England because the rural bourgeoisie wanted to maintain the system of taxes and tariffs uh, uh, which was imposed on imported corn, whereas the industrial bourgeoisie wanted to do away with those tariffs because it made corn costlier and corn being the staple diet of the working class uh, put pressure on the industrial bourgeoisie to raise the wages. So the thing is that Whenever food grains will be costlier, there will be a pressure over the industrial bourgeoisie and upward pressure on the on the wages, and it it will uh, it will actually uh, uh, force industrial bourgeoisie. And if there is a strong working class movement to increase the wages, but it happens rarely. And uh, what we witness is that wages are actually depressed over a period of time and in India also because of this MSP food grains are costlier and everyone agrees to it even you know be it bourgeois economists be it uh, uh, even economists on the left spectrum everyone agrees that MSP actually make food grains costlier so as far as the first two laws are concerned the working class is not obliged to side with any of the two factions of the ruling class, uh, be it monopoly capital or the rural bourgeoisie. Working class and the uh, poor peasantry could have an independent political position. And to this relates that what should be the demand. For example, one of the key demands that the poor peasantry and the marginal uh, peasantry uh, should raise is regarding the uh, system of institutional uh, credit being made uh, accessible to them because uh, one of the reasons why uh, they are indebted is because they don't have access to institutional credit. Secondly, subsidies should be there. Poor peasantry, the marginal peasantry should get uh, subsidies, but the rich should be progressively taxed for it. The urban rich, the uh, rural rich, they should be taxed by the state so that the subsidy uh, could be given to the poor peasantry. Because if you don't tax the rich, then the burden of these subsidies would also be borne by the working masses. Thirdly, uh, the uh, one of the key demands, uh, as I also pointed out earlier, that about 70% of the rural population uh, earns their livelihood through wage labor. So employment is one of the principal demands. And uh, we have been demanding that government should actually formulate a law which makes employment a fundamental right of all the citizens of India. And if government is not in a position to give employment, then it should give unemployment uh, allowance which is uh, enough to, you know, uh, for a family to cater to its needs. So these are some of the principal demands that uh, we believe that the working class as well as the rural poor should raise because uh, siding with either of the two 
blocks of the ruling class is not going to make any difference Yeah, I spent three and a half years living on the street and I know what it's like to have no hope and not to feel part of the society and I think that's where a lot of these people are. But I think we need to help people who are traumatised and help people get back on their feet and give them hope and help them um, feel like they're a part of the society again instead of just moving them on like they're an inconvenience. If it were not for ruminations, how would the views of those of us who have been homeless or are homeless, how would these views ever be aired? How would they ever be expressed? Subscribe to the station that gives airtime to people with a lived experience of homelessness. Support 3CR. Absolutely support 3CR. It is our subscriber drive at the moment. So please give the station a ring during office hours, 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, and subscribe. Or go to 3CR's website and follow the links to subscribe. That's all the w's.3cr.org.au. And it's the digit three, not spelt out in words. Spelt out in words, you'll end up on, I'm pretty sure, a, uh, a band page uh, somewhere. Um, the interview you heard was uh, Shivani Kul from Bigul Mustul Dasta talking uh, about the class analysis of the farmers' strike. So um, I, I know that's a different take on what you've probably been reading and what we've probably been saying, but I thought it was an interesting discussion to have. Um, that does bring us to the end of Asia Pacific Currents for another week. Please join us again next Saturday from 9 o'clock for more news and current affairs from the Asia Pacific region. Stay tuned to 3CR for the rest of the weekend. Uh, you heard um, the announcement about the refugee protest today at 12 o'clock. Get along to that and support the men um, at the Ridges Hotel. Uh, and coming up next is Palestine Remembered. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.